Hey guys, this is Chelsea Schaefer and this is The Score. This is the Team Roping Journal's venture into the world of podcasting. On this show, you'll be able to bring the Team Roping world's movers and shakers on the road or to the office with you. They'll be telling stories and talking through some of the issues facing this sport. As the editor of the Team Roping Journal, I'll be your host. Hey guys, welcome to The Score. This is episode 11 with a special guest, Derek Begay. But first, I've got another guest to introduce you to. Um, this is our first episode with Caitlin Gustav, who is our new assistant editor at the Team Roping Journal, and she is officially editing these podcasts for me, so I wanted her on to introduce her to you guys if you haven't met her already somewhere out there on the road. Hi, Caitlin. Hey, Chelsea. <laughs> um, so Caitlin started out with the Team Roping Journal as an intern last year, and she was just so darn good, we kept her. And as soon as she graduated college, she came to work for us. So, Caitlin, where are you originally from? I'm originally from San Juan Capistrano, California. And you college rodeoed? Yes. I went to school at West Texas A&M in Canyon, Texas, and I college rodeoed all four years in the breakaway and the team roping. And I recently graduated in May. So. And you moved to beautiful Fort Lupton, Colorado? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> With two head of horses? Two horses. Two head horses, breakaway horses. Kind of do it all, I guess. <laughs> and what do you do for the Team Roping Journal? I'll tell everybody that might not know. Um, I basically have taken over all social media channels, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. And I write a few articles in the magazine and I travel, I started traveling a little bit, taking photos, um, as you've seen on Facebook probably for Cheyenne Frontier Days and Greeley Stampede. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's what you do. That's what I do. That's what I do. <laughs> um, do whatever so, Chelsea tells me. Exactly. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> um, so, Caitlin edited this interview with Derek Begay. What did you learn about Derek? You've met him before, right? Have mm -hmm. I introduced you to Derek? Yeah, I met Derek, actually. Funny story. <laughs> met, him, met him at Cheyenne Frontier Days a year ago, and he asked me for money so he could buy biscuits and gravy. <laughs> Oh, yeah. That yes. sounds just like Derek. Yeah. So. That's perfect. I can't believe we're 11 episodes. It's taken us 11 episodes to do one with Derek. Um, so I'm really excited about it. What did you learn about Derek in this episode that you might not have already known? I learned more about his family, like his past. Mm -hmm. um, it's really interesting. Kind of, I guess, shocking when you first hear it. But mm -hmm. um, with his dad and... but Yeah, they lived a... It was like a tough life, but it was a good life. They earned it, yeah. for sure. That's uh, that's one of my favorite things about Derek and a lot of the guys that were raised like him is that they earned earned everything they have, fought tooth and nail. And, and I like to think that this interview kind of helps explain a little bit more about what life was like growing up on the Navajo Nation for Derek and, mm -hmm. and then what life's like on the road. So if you listen to our episode of The Short Score, our bonus episode release we released last week, you know that even though Derek has hardly rodeoed all year, he's gone the last month with fellow Arizona cowboy Corey Petska, who is the reigning world champ. And now all of a sudden Corey's in the top 15 in the world and Derek is 18th in the world. So the way that they had planned their year, they were just going to go for a month and try to get into the winter rodeos. Well, now they're in contention but they have two weeks where they are not entered. 
um, because they weren't planning to enter. So they're home relaxing while you while you um, while you're listening to this. Derek is just hanging out back home in Fort McDowell, Arizona, um, and so I think it's really an exciting time, especially to hear from Derek, to hear where he comes from, and to kind of put that together with kind of the situation he's in now, where he's going to be battling for the last couple six weeks of the season to try and make it get to the finals so yeah that's that's where we are guys that's i'm glad you got to meet caitlin she will be making some appearances from time to time on the score whenever i force her into my office to to do that even how uncomfortable this may or may not be making her (laughs) yeah there you could tell she's uncomfortable but um, but we're glad she's here if you see her if you see somebody with a camera running around behind the shoots at a rodeo or at a major team rope in, maybe at the U.S. Finals when you see her in October. Um, say hi, introduce yourself. She's super friendly, even if she does get uncomfortable when you put her on the spot like this. So, okay, guys, enjoy this episode with Derek. Remember to leave us a review when it's all said and done. Um, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. It's 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 something. So, thanks, guys. Hey, Derek, how are you? Welcome to the score. They can't hear you nodding on podcast. <laughs> How are you today? Good. Hanging out in Reno for a few days. I feel like I'm having deja vu sitting here with you right now. Like, you've been wearing the same aviator sunglasses and a black hat for the whole time I've known you. <clears throat> and I feel like... The black hat, or well, felt. The first time I got in a resistol... Um, I don't remember exactly what year it was. 2007 is when I kind of started heading a little bit. 2008, I made the finals. In 2009, I believe, I think I went second here to BFI, maybe. Anyway, I got a resistol deal from from the people who were resistol, and they come to me and said, hey, you want to come be in our team? And sure, heck yeah, I grew up watching guys that were sponsored by resistol, so... Anyway, since that day, I think it was in 2009 here at the BFI, I got on Resistol and I said, you know what, if I'm going to get on a hat company, I'm going to start wearing a felt hat and it's going to be higher than a 20X, I said. And since that day, I haven't changed nothing yet. <laughs> Every hat's been felt and it's been over 20X. <laughs> and I think that's that's how it's going to be forever. Never, never put on straw back on. You just ran your first... Not your first year with Jay Corkill, because you've roped with him before, right? Yeah, like, we roped him a little bit at some smaller jackpots and stuff, but this is the first time we got to back into a, a major roping together. And you were on a green horse, right? Sure enough, a green horse. Yeah, I had her for a couple of years now, and got her when she was almost five, and been riding her around the house a little bit, and decided to bring her out here, probably, which... She did good. She did good. I was pretty nervous for her, but I think she held her own. She looked really... I didn't get to see your fourth steer, I don't think. Yeah, but your she, first three looked really good. I watched videos and stuff. She looks a lot better than she feels. She still hasn't got her feet underneath her yet. So, But she listens to whatever you want to do. That's one good thing about her. She's young enough where you can put her wherever you need to, but she don't have all the cool moves or she's not that strong yet so like your horses that you want to be rodeo horses eventually like her you bought her with the intent of using her eventually at the rodeos does she get any special treatment around your place does she have to go 
day work or anything that way? No, all my rodeo horses, they seems like I'm pretty nice to them. They hardly don't get rode much. They probably need to be rode more, but a couple flakes of good Arizona alfalfa is about what they get. And they, I think one big thing that I think that helps them a lot is they get to be horse. They get to be turned out. They get to be with other ones, and they get to be horse. So I think that's real important. Mm-hmm. Tell me how dry has it been in Arizona lately? You guys have been praying for rain? Yeah. I mean, since I've been there, it's the worst I've ever seen. Really? My whole life. Your whole so, life, yeah. yeah. it's been the worst. So this year has been pretty tough, some tough times. Are you One, selling cows? Or are you, what's the... <laughs> yeah, I sold a few. I sold a few that that I didn't want to sell. And I probably should have sold when the when times were better, but... I kept them around, but it's been bad enough now. I have to kind of go a little deeper than I usually do, and so I have to sell some, trying to figure out how to feed some. Bad enough where I had to just strip strip all the calves off their moms the other day, and so it's been pretty tough, but nothing you can do. Nothing you can do. Seems like I've gotten a lot wiser and a lot smarter this year than I ever had in my whole life just because of all the things that have hap- had, had happened, I think. So, but... There's nothing you do. It's no matter what, it's gonna be okay. Are you going to have to do a lot to deal with it when you get home for after Reno and after the Fourth of July? <clears throat> the drought. Well, it seems like every time everything's been been doing good enough, okay, where we don't have really have to worry about anything. It seems like the the rain comes just when it needs to, and we always seem like to get enough feed to get by. And uh, this year it's been different. Usually we just kind of about this time we we'll leave everything alone and get to go rodeo and not worry too much about much but lately man it's been bad enough where we trying to figure out to do what to do with certain things cows water feed i mean it goes it list goes on and on of how to take care of them so we've been feel like i'm starting to become a little bit about a businessman maybe a little bit of farmer maybe a little bit of veterinarian i mean a feed specialist i've been kind of talking to a lot of people trying to figure out the best cheapest way to take care of some of these cows and so it's been, it's been fun it's been a learning experience and it seems like i've gotten a lot smarter this year than i ever had through most of my years just because it seems like when everything's good you ain't got to worry about much you don't learn much everything seems like it's going good but this year it's been it's been tough so but we're going to pull our hat down and see what happens what have you learned about your friends this year? Um, you know, my friends always been the same since day one, so they're always been there for me, no matter what. It's, so they all help me out a lot. I, I have a few, a few guys that maybe seems like five, six, seven guys that I, I talk to mostly every day. Mostly every day, we talk about the weather. We talk about what we're going to do, trying to figure out how we're going to do it, who we need to talk to, or who has the best price to fix whatever, to who has the best idea, or we kind of communicate within each other of how to go about things, and, and just check on each other, see how we're doing, so we close enough where we get to tell each other our own personal problems, and we know each other pretty good, so those those few guys, they're always been there, and always well, so um, we've talked about this a little bit lately. Your sister, in the last few years, has 
worked for the Team Roping Journal and before that Spindlewing quite a bit. She's pretty dang talented. Um, you and Jamie are how far apart? Uh, exactly one year. We got the same birth date, but uh, just a year later. Hmm. I'm a, she's an 82 model and I'm an 83 model. <laughs> What's Jamie's role been like in your life? In oh, your life? I mean, big sister. She has to take that role. She ain't got a choice, so... And she's my sister, so she's always been there for me, no matter what. She's we we grew up together. I mean, everything that I've done, she was right there with me. So or whatever she'd done, I was there with her. So we have plenty of good stories together growing up. I mean, we kind of still remember back as far as we can coming to Reno as little kids and stuff. So we have a. A lot of good stories together. We're, we have a real good relationship together. Take me into your parents' household. What was it like being a gay child growing up? Well, my dad, he's he was pretty strict, and he was pretty old school, and he kind of laid the law down around the house. He made sure I got up in the morning. He made sure I got stuff done, and he, he didn't give me much slack. He kind of wanted me to... Make sure I was in the right path. So that's kind of who he was. And I mean, don't get me wrong, he had all the love for me in the world just because, I mean, I can see it now, just looking back, thinking, man, you know what? I want this kid to be as best as he can. I'm going to make sure and beat on him so he is. <laughs> and then my mom, she's loving, caring. So when my dad laid the law down, I go to my mom. She's the one that gave me comfort and she gave me encouragement and she. She, that was her. She always had food on the table and always there with open hand, open arms. And still to this day, I'm 34 years old and nothing's changed. It's still the same way. My dad will still whip my butt if he needs to, and my mom's still there to pick me up. Does your mom rope? No, my mom. She can ride good. She can ride well. She can swing a rope, but she don't rope off a horse or nothing like that. She's, mm-hmm. She rides pretty good. She's. She used to be queen in the days and stuff like that, so she's she knows she knows stuff about horses and she rides and stuff. She's just a nature rider. Where what where did you guys grow up? Where give me a setting. Set, set the scene. <clears throat> it's in northern Arizona. It's uh live on the Navajo Reservation, that's where I was born and raised and uh, the closest town that that's kind of famous on the map would be a, the town called Winslow, Winslow, Arizona. I live directly north of there, about 50, 55 miles up straight north of there, and it's up on the reservation. That's where I was always at, and that's where I always be at. And we grew up in the. It's kind of high desert. We live around a lot of buttes. Um, we got a lot of wind, a lot of sand, and that's where. My grandpa and grand- grandma was, that's where they lived, and that's where my mom was raised, and she built a house not too far from them, and I built a house not too far from my mom and dad, so we, my mom and dad, we probably live about maybe three quarters of a mile apart from each other, so that's that's where I live at, and I'm usually at my mom's house probably 80% of the time. So that's kind of where we're from. It's a little community called Saber Delkai, or you could call it Tisto, or it's just a small community. There's a little housing, 
There's a little post office. There's a school that my mom works at probably about 15, 16 miles away from where we live. And there's a store about the same, same distance. So there's not, there's not much, to, much activity that goes on out there. I live on a dirt road. So got to get the mail to the post office. And that's, that's about it. It's pretty quiet, pretty laid back and kind of away from a lot of stuff. I want to learn a little bit now about what it was like on the reservation and what it still is like. No, we, I mean, we still what? live on reservations. I mean, there's still, we got to stay on there. We're still guarded by troops and we got teepees and <laughs> we got, we still hunt <laughs> buffalo and we still do war dances and powwows and rain dance. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Oh, good. No, well, that's just the way them, that's just the way most people view us. I mean, they view us as long hair and yell and ride horses bareback and wear loincloths and hunt buffalo with spears and live in teepees. Or else they have really negative views of the reservation in some instances, right? Yeah, I mean, they do. They think we're, I mean, wild, crazy, drunks and lazy and trashy and stuff. They they all got those views, which, I mean, I mean, I don't blame somebody that has kind of a view of that because there are parts of some of the reservation that, that do have do have those I mean unfortunately but that's just not there it it goes for everywhere else so we're just kind of like everybody else we have we have our own problems that we deal with and our own struggles and our own stuff I mean we have people that got bad alcohol problems and drugs are starting to get bad around there but I mean it's one thing I I don't know what to do about it I mean I try to put in my two cents every now and then I try to how to get things better but I mean it's not a perfect world, so we we try to do our best. But my my community is, I mean, we have all the above. But at the most part, I heard a song the other day says most people are good. So I think that's the case. We all mean good. But one thing about the reservation, though, we don't have we got crime, but we're not we're not we're not too bad. We don't got the shootings, or we ain't got to I mean, say that now, but 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 yeah. But we're all good-hearted people no matter what. It seems that way. It seems that way, the most part. The most part. So that's that's one thing is uh, you can't judge all those Native Americans by what somebody else did. You can kind of be aware of it a little bit, but you can't judge us all that way. We're not all that way. And mm-hmm. we're there's actually a lot of good people. So it's just those those few that kind of mess it up and stuff. But at the most part, we're, we're all pretty good. How has... Obviously, team roping shaped your life, shaped Roger's life, shaped Sinjini's life. What is there? Is there anything the team roping industry can do more to reach the kids on the reservations? Is there anything that, as an industry, team roping can do better to get more kids that don't have all the opportunities involved in the sport? Well, you can't give really nobody an excuse for not doing enough. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean. You can you can only help yourself, so so it, you can't give nobody on the reservation an excuse for not being to being able to excel. I mean, myself and Rogers and Synergy, we didn't have much other than other than what we seen or what we watched or where we went, and we didn't go far. We didn't have all the right um, resources, and or we weren't there all financially. So there, there's really no excuse for nobody to to say that, hey, I wish we could get an opportunity, I wish I could do this. Yeah. We, we all never really had, I guess we all really never had nothing, but those few opportunities that came by, we, we took. 
So, I mean, a lot of the time we, most of the time, I mean, growing up, we took a gamble. That's all we did. Yeah. Took a gamble, didn't know what we were going to do, didn't know how we were going to do it, didn't know how we were going to pay for it, but we just, we, we all gambled and, and and I'm glad we did. So there's there's really no excuse and there really shouldn't be no added opportunities that mm-hmm. we need because, heck, if, if, if we can do it, I mean, everybody else has the right reason to do it if they want or if they don't. So it's, so uh, I don't know. You seem so extraordinary, the three of you. Was there something, right place, right time, right amount of preparation, all of it, <clears throat> like everything came together for the three of you? Definitely. I mean, we had to have the right breaks. And, and to look back at it, it wasn't, it almost like it wasn't humanly planned. I mean, I'm speaking for myself mm-hmm. now, but it wasn't, it wasn't humanly planned. It was, it was almost like it was meant to be. But, but we all had the, the wish and the hope and, and we all had our goals and we know what we kind of wanted to be, but, but that's all we had. That's all we had. We didn't know how we were going to do it or, or, or whatnot. So, so we, we did all have the opportunity, but I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it wasn't planned, but you have to, I think you have to have a belief and you got to know what you want and you have to meet it halfway. And I think that's, it's just, if you can do that, the rest is kind of up to, up to just faith and the rest is up to God, I guess. So that's, that's how I look at it anyway, because man, I've been to a lot of cool places and I always kind of think sometimes, man, I could have went the other way real fast. What if I'd done this, or what if I'd done that, or yeah, I feel like you're one choice. What if, what if, what if I tried to do this, or what if this happened, or I was like, I always think like, man, I wonder if I would have still been this guy, or if I would have been a different guy, or if I would have been a. <laughs> Obviously, you could always be a better guy. So, but there's a lot of choices that that we've done to get to where we're at. I mean, there was obviously a lot of sacrifices that we had to go through to get to where we're at, but. It's it's fun to look back at it now, and we we got by. We've gotten by a lot of bad stuff to get to a lot of good stuff. It seems like. Was there a big crossroads in your life that made all the difference? <laughs> there was plenty, plenty of crossroads to look back and think about. I mean, just thinking about seeing Jenny and Rogers, I always think about all the stuff they they had to do to get to where they're at and just growing up we know we have our stories of I mean I don't know how you say it four times or when we didn't think we knew what we're doing or we didn't know how to do it but just think back all this stuff but there wasn't no exactly one crossroad where we crossed and all of a sudden things were better Mm -hmm. and there hasn't been one of those yet And, and still to this day we're still the same way I mean we still have to try our butt off and nothing's still not easy just because just because we're all successful doesn't mean it gets easier it seems like it even gets kind of harder or for me anyway mm-hmm. so that's one thing that's always going to be there just because we've gotten good doesn't mean everything doesn't mean life's good and everything's easy and roping comes still natural it's still we still have to work for it every day and it still costs a lot we still have to still business and there's still a lot that goes into it that we still continue to do to this day so we're still crossing the roads <laughs> are you a are you a big goal setter like I mean you wouldn't have got this far if you weren't but 
you know, there are guys that right now are, are saying, you know, it's a gold buckle, it's a gold buckle, it's a gold buckle. What is what is the goal what is, for you right now? No, I never had no goals growing up. <clears throat> but the way you think about it, I guess there are goals. I know what I kind of wanted to do. I kind of know who I wanted to kind of be. That I knew who, the way I kind of wanted to act. That That's about, seems like all I kind of knew. But like actual physical goals of winning the world championship or winning this or winning that. I mean, those, you have to always think about those. Those are kind of more like hopes and those are more like wishes you want to fulfill. But but if a person loves doing something so much, you you want, you don't even need to go, you don't need to write on your bathroom wall and saying I'm the, going to be the best or you don't need to mm-hmm. look at yourself in the mirror and say I'm going to be the best. It's just, you should just naturally have it inside of you where you don't even have to tell yourself I think that's the way it is and whatever that thing is inside you I think that's what you should do you shouldn't have to you shouldn't even have to think about it it should just come natural and to look back at the way I was and it seems like I never had to think about if I ever, if I wanted to rope or not that's just something I did and that's something I enjoyed doing and eventually all those goals and those wishes and those hopes they all sneak up on you and like wow <laughs> hey this is I remember this. This is what I wanted. So that's how it is. I love that so much. You said you just you didn't have a goal, but you knew who you wanted to be and you knew who you wanted to act. And the kind of the automatic result was success because of who you wanted to be and how you wanted to act. Like those are the right ingredients. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean the the best teacher for whatever you want to do is is having the love and the passion for it. That's the best teacher. If you have those, you can learn anything you want. You might not learn it overnight, but you can learn anything you want if you have the love and the passion for it. Those are the best teachers. You can... And that's something you can't buy and something that you can't try to learn. That's that's not something we can sell. It's just you got to have it inside you. So we talked about a little bit about what it's like on the reservation. What do people not know about the Indian Rodeo Association? And... And going to Indian rodeos, it's always been a big passion of yours. It's never been. You don't miss a lot of them, even when you were rodeoing full time. Well, that's where I started. That's where we all started. Seeing Gene Rogers is where we all started, and that's where we'll all end up one day. <laughs> that's where I'll end up one day. We we still go to quite a few of them at home. There's still a lot of them, and they're big big part in the success we have just because they taught us of how to compete how to how to win or how to travel or how to take care of the business part so Indian Road has a big 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 part of our careers but you know Indian Roads are fun they're fun they're they're not too far from the house and the same people are at all of them same ones same ones so it's pretty much the same people but a different place and we get to stay there two, three days, get to hang out with those people all the time, we get to camp, we get to eat, and, and we get to rodeo. So it's it's like one one big deal. You get to all do it all in two, three days, and you just get to go to different places. So And the competition, it's all there. Don't get us wrong, man. We go there, we get our butts kicked a lot. So people think, oh, these guys are top names. These guys are... You know, far qualifiers, whatever, and they should, if they go to Indian Rodeos, they'll probably win it all. But nope, that's wrong. We go there and we get 
we get our butt handed to us most of the time, but we just try to keep pace with those guys sometimes. And you get to go to all different parts of the country. You were just in Riverton, right? Yeah. Where was that? Where did that one end up being? That was uh, Riverton, Wyoming. I don't. Was it at the casino or was it? No, it was it was next to the cell barn. It was next oh, to the uh-huh. river, and it was mm-hmm. next to the cell barn. First time I've been there. It was a it was a good place. First time I've been to Riverton, so. And you, the the Indian rodeos are at all the tribes. Like many of the different tribes host them. It's not anyone in particular or anything like that. It's yeah, the the Indian national finals. They have a uh, they're kind of I guess spread out through most of the western western states and. We all have different tribes throughout most of the western United States, and we have one in Florida that has a rodeo, So, but most of them are in the western part of the country. And we all have different rodeo, Indian rodeo associations throughout the country, and they they all have one good rodeo. Every, every, uh, every association at least has one good rodeo, and we, we kind of go to rodeos throughout that part of the country depending on where they're at in the ranking of priorities in the Begay family you know some families are God family team roping what was the what was the hierarchy of priorities at your house (laughs) I mean God and family they go hand in hand I mean that's what ties everything together and then everything else just kind of branches in after that, it seems like. But that's, I think that's the way it is, and, and that's how it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. They just go hand in hand. They, they, they tie everything together, and that's, I guess that's what's gotten us to where we're at today. Mm-hmm. And how, young, how much younger is Brittany? Brittany, I don't know. I don't know what year she's born. She's, I know she's born on February 21st, and... And uh, I know that's her birthday, but the year, I don't know, I don't know what, what year she is. She's probably five, six, seven years behind us, maybe. Mm-hmm. So she's definitely the younger sister, but years really don't matter. I mean, just imagine how we could live if we, if, if some, somehow we could forget our, our actual birth year or burn the papers that we have, our birth certificate. Just imagine how much life, how much more life would be fun. You got to worry about how old you are or how old you're going to be or how young you were. It's just, you're just living. I think that's the way to look at it. <laughs> Do you think that's the way Champ looks at it? Probably. I mean, maybe that's, I mean, you have to be great for so long at one thing and you have to look at it different or be different anyway. And mm-hmm. maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe he forgot his, the year on his birthday and maybe they burned his birth certificate. So I think that's probably what keeps those guys so young. I asked you this yesterday when we were watching the BFI. If it um, hurts at all watching Clay rope with somebody else, um, because he was always your dream partner. You guys had a partnership for the books, like that people will write about in 20 years. Um, and what was your answer? Um, well, I mean, me and him roped together for a few years, and we had a good time together, and. We did. We were real successful together. It was kind of. I mean, obviously, it was more than I ever imagined to be like. It's just because I. I never thought I rode with him. I never thought I rode with him. But when the day did come and the day did gone, I mean, it was. I put everything that I could into it, and everything was 
more than what I want it to be. So, but just recently, this past winter, I didn't do very good for him and felt like I was kind of holding him back and trying to not doing not doing what I should have been doing. So, so we finally decided to talk and told him he needed to get another partner. And so we talked about it there for a couple weeks and finally he found a guy to rope with and and to see him rope with somebody else other than me I mean there's no hard feelings at all I mean if it was a, a bad a bad breakup or however whatever you call those <laughs> things then yes it, it would be just because that's naturally how it's supposed to be but in this deal and there's I'd cheer for him more than probably anybody else so he's he's been on my team he's always going to be on my team so I always cheer for him no matter what so I always, I always root him on, and so that's that's how it is with me and him. He, we're still real good friends. We talk almost every other day. So, don't forget this podcast is supported by US Rider, the premier equestrian roadside assistance program in the industry. You've heard me talk about it every episode since the start, and now I want to give you a promo code so you all can subscribe and save money too. You get 14 months for the price of 12 with the promo code PC718. That is P as in Paul, C as in Cat, 718. You only get it if you're listening to the score. This is a score-exclusive promo code. So head on over to usrider.org and subscribe. So what's the rest of your year going to look like? Man, we're going to get plenty of rain, <laughs> a lot of rain. We're going to get a lot of rain. Grass is going to grow. Cows are going to get fat. Dirt tanks are going to fill up. Man, hopefully get fat myself. <laughs> and win some somewhere. Where and with whom are you going to win something? <laughs> it seems like the last, since I started roading professionally, or the last five six years or I don't know how the last the last wave I've been on it seems like whoever I'm going roping with it's all up to me if I want to win some or not and I had some of the best partners in the world it seems like and it's always been up to me so it just kind of depends on what places I want to go to because it seems like everywhere I go to I have a good partner so that's how it's always been and I don't know how long that's going to last. <laughs> bucket list partner. Who is your bucket list partner? Who do you got left? Well, it seems like I rope with all the all the top healers in the world. From I rope with all of them at one point or another. I haven't rodeo with all of them yet, but I, I rope with everybody in the industry, it seems like. so. But just getting to be around them and getting to watch them rope with somebody else, man, that's... That's good enough for me, but there ain't, I don't have a bucket list of who I want to rope with. So. I mean, obviously, Clay O'Brien Cooper, which is for everybody else. So once you fulfill that wish, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> that, that was it for me, Check. it seems like. Yeah, that yeah. was it for me. But there's so many good guys now that you could darn near back in the box with, I mean, not anybody, but most of the top guys. And it's all up to the header nowadays, it seems like. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest opportunity that you're glad you took? I don't think that was a uh, like a very big one, but I had plenty of opportunity, plenty of small ones. Which, I mean, roping with some of these guys I get to rope to, get to rope with, 
I guess those are big opportunities if, if you're just talking about the actual roping, mm-hmm. roping my roping career. So roping was these guys that are the best guys going. That those are all opportunities. But I guess those are it. I mean, other than having the opportunity to do what I like doing and going places and eating different food, meeting different people, and getting to getting to find out like you know this rodeo and this rope and you never know what's going to happen so getting up every day thinking man this might be the day this might not so it's always fun looking forward to figuring out trying to think about how the day is going to go so but I had plenty of good opportunities what has been the greatest day you know you said it might be the day it might not be what was the day Salinas Cheyenne the greatest day in rodeo the day that you woke up and then you went to bed at night thinking, man, this was it. That was the day. Like, this was this was a blast. <laughs> um, there's been plenty of those. I think there's been plenty of those. There's been plenty of those. Making the finals, uh, getting the rope of Clay Cooper, uh, winning the American. I, I, there, there's been plenty of all of those, kind of those kind of moments. Those kind of moments, so... Can I ask you a question that yeah. I would probably never ask you if I were recording before this? Does it bug you that your picture is on Sin and Jenny's George Strait trailer and you never got to win the straight? No, nothing like that bothers it me. It doesn't bother you? No, I was, I was high called the George Strait the year before that and had a good chance to win it and was roping with Petska. I could have turned the steer halfway down and still been for some <laughs> heading for him and I was a little late, thought I needed to throw, and I threw about two feet past the steer. So, but coming back to next year and having the, my picture on Sydney's trailer, no, it don't bother me at all. It's kind of like it there. Champ, champ's healing for me on that picture, so <laughs> can't go wrong with that. And Sydney didn't he want it, so I get to. He pulls it around the, my house a lot or around the <laughs> reservation a lot, so, so I like it. I like it. I mean, good exposure, so. It probably bothers him. I know. It probably bothers Synergy, but it don't bother me at all. <laughs> the last episode of my podcast was with Moats, and we talked. Gosh, man, I listened to that one, man. He knows the in and outs about horses. Yeah, and... that was what I was going to say. We talked so much about horse breeding. I know? think you asked him three questions, and it took up, what, 45 minutes? <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, but it was good. I could never... I could, is there any horse breeding that you could ramble off to me like no, that? No, I don't know no, nothing about horse breeding or or breeding types or papers or... Okay. A mare and a gelding and stallion, that's about all I know. So does Swagger have papers? No, we don't. Swagger does not have papers. Nope. They said he's some kind of frosty something. Frosty top or something like that. Hmm. So, frosty I mean, feature. Frosty top. Yeah. Um, I mean, it don't. But your gray is your your gray that has been good for you for so long, is bred out the wazoo pretty much. Thinks she has papers, but I do know is they call her a dinero, which means she come out of a dinero stud, and that's off the Potters there in Miranda Sherry Servies. That's the Sherry Servy breeding. Her and her dad, Mel Potter, and their family's the one that. They're the ones that also the rope horse world, so that's about as far as I know. Other than that, I don't know nothing about it. Do you ever say when you're looking for a head horse, does it have papers? Probably when I maybe question the age on one. Mm-hmm. That's about it. Because Dude. the age is 
age is a big factor in a horse, but papers they don't mean anything to me. Do you not sell a lot of horses then, or do you sell horses and it doesn't? And the people that you sell them to also don't care. I maybe sold two horses. That's about it. Other than that, don't sell no horses. Which, which I mean, I, I've had to get rid of some, but it's more like twenty five hundred, thirty five hundred. But mm -hmm. that's that's not called selling. Fifteen thousand, twenty five thousand, or fifty thousand. But well, unless I ever find a good one, I might. You. You know, one of the things that you've cited as a reason you're not rodeoing this year is you need a head horse. And there are guys that need head horses that are talking $125,000 for head horses. Would you ever? Nope. For a year. Unless I had some money, I might. If you had money, you might? Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's your head horse game plan right now for if you decide you want to rodeo again next year? You no, know, my head horse plan is like it's always been whenever when I first started roping, whenever I first liked it, whenever, whenever I needed a head horse. I just needed one and kind of wanted one, but it seems like every every horse that's come my way has been for a reason, it felt like. Mm -hmm. I never had to pay too much for a horse, and I never really had to have very many, actually. And my plan still like it's been before. If one comes my way, that one I think supposed to come my way it's going to but if it don't I'm not worried about it so that's been my plan from the very start and still the same did you have to give a lot for swagger nope no no didn't have to give very much for him just not humanly planning they're just the way to have they're they're just that's just the way it is for me mm-hmm um, so and swagger yeah. came from you've always just said you've never gotten into it very much where did swagger come he from he came from a guy by the name of Wally Sosi. He lives probably about, I don't know, 30 miles from where I do, a place called Indian Wells. He's in, he's also a Navajo. So he lives there on a reservation and uh, he got swagger, I think as a maybe a yearling or two year old from another gentleman from Holbrook. I think the Reedheads, I think. They kind of raised some horses there and he got swagger from them and had him for a few years and had some guys right, right there around the house just kind of ride him. A good friend of my dad's named Laren Williams, he kind of rode him. Another guy by the name of John Boyd Jr., he also rode him. And and the guy got him from, he's a kind of a, a lower number roper. He works a lot. He, that's all he does is works, ropes a little bit. So one day I got to try him and I tried him and I didn't buy him. I should have bought him then. The price was real low. And then uh, maybe a year or so went by and tried him again. And I liked him, so I told that guy, I said, could I take this horse? Ride him for a few months or whatever. He said, yeah, take him, take him. So I rode him around for a while, and I liked him. And I asked that guy if I could buy him. He really didn't want to sell him. He didn't really want to sell him. No, no, it's my family's horse. And, that guy's kind of real traditional. He said, we prayed for this horse, and this horse is supposed to be ours, and we, we can't, we said a lot of prayers for him. We can't, we can't, we can't do that. We can't sell him. I said, okay, that's fine. I said, well, I'll, I'll kind of con continue to keep riding him. And then uh, I get to talking to him a little more, We're pretty good friends, and I said, man, hey, this, this deal is starting to kind of turn out to something that I think we don't have control of. I told him, I said, I, said, I think this horse is supposed to go with me. I said, I think, I said, I think maybe your, I said, your prayers are probably going to be answered in a different way than probably what 
you can imagine. So that's how I got that horse. So it was it was kind of a neat story for me and him because mm-hmm. he's real he's real traditional. He says a lot of these good prayers and he prayed for the horse when he had it and stuff, what he wanted to do and so for me to take it and and have that horse all the years and be successful on it and that horse done real good for me so it is kind of neat to see and he's real happy about it he'll come over just every now and then and check him out and look at him and stuff so it's it's been pretty good did he get another horse he's gotten he's gotten maybe a few more but just some to fill in the you definitely got his good horse yeah (laughs) i tell him all the time it's still yours uh-huh. I said, it's still yours. I said, I mean, spiritually, it's still yours, but I have him. <laughs> so he, he he has a good feeling about it. It makes him feel good knowing that, hey, this guy said, this is my horse. So he's proud of it. And then Julie's doing a story on your old paint horse <clears throat> that's hanging out there. The paint was what started your career. And people say, if you ask Clay Tryon, he's still remembers you as some punk kid on a paint horse tell me about the paint horse where did he come from does yeah, he have papers he's <laughs> <laughs> no he ain't got no papers heck no he ain't got no papers <laughs> i don't know how old he is so as far as i'm concerned he's still young at heart anyway but yeah that's where it's, that's where i'll start where i'll start i believe that horse come from a sale barn in clovis new mexico my uncle he bought two I think they were both two year olds two little paint horses come in two year olds and come through the cell ring and he bought both of them he might have bought both of them for 800 or something like that maybe 400 bucks a piece that's what they cost I mean nobody wanted them they were paints and they were they were thin they were I mean the, the paint I got is kind of pigeon toed and he, he wasn't he was ugly I should say he was an ugly horse when I first got him, and my uncle brought him, day, brought him by one day. He said, hey, I got a horse for you to ride. I said, all right, bring him by, drop him off, drop him off. I was at home. I come back like, hey, this is an ugly-looking horse. Anyway, so got on him, rode him around a while. And he was one of those horses. He was thin bone. He kind of had a fast walk. Head was up, kind of hyper. And I saddled him, and he didn't buck or nothing. And I got to ride him around, ride him around. And he's he caught on real fast, but I never... I never did the ride and slide and no fancy turns or I just rode him he was just transportation any day one day we had some we had some really fresh calves at the house ran them through the chute and they were just walking out and I happened to be on that horse and backed him in the box and the very first run I remember him and still to this day still to this day I remember like it was yesterday man this calf walked out he walked off walked out behind it this calf kind of took off and and calf really kind of did take off and he 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 went right beside it and he was right there with and i roped this calf and i just kind of slowed him down calves are fresh calf started bucking around a little bit turned him uh my cousin was healing he healed his calf and and he faced and that was the very first run i ever roped on that horse ever and since that day man he's just gone well i mean never gotten good but he's gotten since that day i was like man this is we could head off this one and not knowing we just started he was just kind of a slave and we just just headed on him all day headed on him all day just never 
never tried to teach them right or never tried to go slow or never tried to do none of that stuff. We just we just backed them in there and ducked on them and ducked on them and <laughs> that's what he was. But when you start with your first year rodeoing then and you were hauling that horse around, I know some young guys will be like, "This is hey man, stop! This is my good one. Like we gotta stop and water this one." Or he was your only good he was your only good one in quotes. Was he ever? Did you ever treat him like he was special? Did he ever get special? <laughs> They're always, always special. So yeah. I took the best care of him. So he, he was he was the only one I had, so I had no other... I had nothing else to baby, mm-hmm. nothing else to be mad at. So he was the only one I had. So everything I'd done, he was right there with me. So, But he, he didn't... He definitely got special treatment because he was he the did. only one, so... I can't see you giving anything much special treatment, but... I mean, special treatment to me is some good Arizona hay, <laughs> alfalfa. That's... I don't get no better than that. Mm-hmm. And then the other treatment is I let him be a horse. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are the two best things. And try to keep him away from the vet as much as you can. <laughs> Unless they need to go. When did you make the choice that you weren't going to drink um you know it's funny somebody asked me that same question yesterday really they asked me like hey you don't drink I said no they're like you liar that's the first thing I get you liar I said no I haven't and they're like nothing not a sip I said no I never had never had not even a sip I said I smelt it that's about as far as I've gone but they're like how how'd you do that and what, they're asking me, like, what made you, at some point, you just figured, okay, I'm never going to do it. And the answer to that is there was no exact point. I told them that there was a lot of different reasons or there was a lot of different moments that come to me that made me not want to drink. I said, just by some of the stuff that I've seen it do negatively to certain people or, I mean, certain people in my family or... My mom said no. My dad said no. I, I've seen a lot of different negative moments that that uh, it can bring to to anybody. I mean, especially being being Native American, we're we're kind of known. I mean, unfortunately, we're kind of unknown known for being I mean, being drunks, I guess. So stuff like that is what seeing stuff like that and hearing stuff like that and I still remember as a kid like some of the problems it caused in our family and stuff and just seeing those moments those are the, all, all those kind of things all kind of tie into one big moment of me not on a drink but and this lady I was talking to yesterday is one that asked me and, I, and, and, I, and she was she was having a beer at the moment and she kind of as I was telling her she's kind of started putting the beer down I was watching her. She had her in her hand. She started bringing it down lower and lower and lower. Pretty soon, she kind of had it on the end of her arm there. And then there was a table next door and next to her, and she set it down. I'm like, why'd you put that beer down? She's like, well, I don't want to be drinking in front of you. And I said, no. I said, it ain't like that. I said, I ain't, I ain't got nothing against it. I said, I ain't got nothing against it. I said, 90% of my friends all drink. I said, I ain't got nothing against it. It's, if you can handle it right and if you can afford it, and if it don't cause too much problems, I said, I ain't got nothing against it. But I said, but if it causes the problems and you can't afford it and, and it brings 
it brings bad things in your life, which in most cases, in most cases, it does if, if you can't, if you don't do it responsibly. And that's when I got something real bad against it, I said. But it's not, it's never my, none of my business to say, hey, you should do this and do that, unless somebody asks. Like stuff like that. Then I'll then I'll then I'll tell them what I think. Then, but other than that, being around it, a lot of rodeo guys drink. A lot of my friends drink, and I'm around it all the time. I mean, I rodeo with Turtle Pal forever, and he drinks beer all day. I mean, not all day, but he drinks beer every day. <laughs> every it feels day. like yeah. And he don't bother me at all. He's he can afford it, and he's real responsible with it. So it doesn't it doesn't bother me. I've been around it quite a bit. I I rodeo and you get to go to some of these bars and get to hang out with these people and stuff and I'll go in there and I'll sit there and watch them drink and watch them have a good time and stuff but there was not one point in my life where I before I ever wanted to do it and there's a lot of times I've been peer pressured of do it do it do it and just have a sip come on come on just a drop like no nothing never even came close nothing even came close ever it was not even a time I ever wanted to. So it's, it's, I've, some of my friends gotten fights over it, seems like. There's sometimes you go to these bars and people are drunk, like, you want to drink? Like, no, no, sir, I'm good. And they get offended, like, what, you too good to drink with us? And like, no, no, I'm just, I just don't drink. They're like, you're a liar, you don't want to drink with us, you're too good. And some of my friends that actually know I don't drink will step in and mm-hmm. I had a few fights in bars over people trying to, think that I'm too good to drink with them and stuff but that's that's about the most dramatic it's got well and that I ain't got nothing against it hmm. okay guys thanks for listening to this episode Caitlin now your first episode's over what do you think I think it's great I was excited to be on this episode and I was excited to edit this podcast and listen to what Derek had to say <laughs> The on and the off the record stuff too. I think yes. there were some things that we took out that were probably pretty valuable too, just between <laughs> us. Um, so sorry guys, maybe someday you'll get to hear all that. Have a great one. Remember, leave us a review on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes wherever you're listening. Uh, share this podcast on your social media channels. Let people know that you're listening to the Team Roping Journals podcast. The score. Have a great week. 